This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Another book of the Bible that you won't find in William Branham's recorded sermons from 1947 to 1965 is the book of Obadiah. Although this is a very short book, it contains words from God that might otherwise be missed, leaving our understanding of the Old Testament scripture incomplete. As with all books of prophecy in the Old Testament, the book of Obadiah speaks concerning the current sin, God's justice, and the coming Messiah. When the Bible is studied without the book of Obadiah, we never have conclusion to the story of Jacob and Esau. And by missing this book, we're missing an important reference that points the day of the Lord to Christ, and Christ as the one who comes to restore Israel after falling under the curse of the law. Esau, remember, did not value the birthright. Before the two children were born, God promised Rebekah that her two sons would become the fathers of two divided nations, and Jacob would rule his older brother Esau. Receiving his father's blessing, Jacob fulfilled the promise and rose to become the beloved Israel that God chose for the Messiah. But there are a few important things to notice about this story, especially coming from the teachings of Branham with regards to this story. It was Rebekah who inquired upon the Lord, receiving the word from the Lord with regards to Jacob and Esau. A daughter of Bethuel the Aramean, Rebekah descends from a line of semi-nomadic herdsmen that originated in what is now Syria. The Arameans tended herbs in Biblical Aram, which is Syria, until migrating over to Mesopotamia and integrating into the Assyrians and the Babylonian people. While the focus of this story is typically upon how Jacob tricked his father, Isaac, to receive the blessing, Obadiah will turn your focus back to the word of the Lord that came to Rebekah. Though Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, his nature and his disposition 
was more like Rebekah's heritage. Isaac favored the older Esau in his skills as a hunter, but Jacob was much more mild-mannered, and he would have preferred the lifestyle of his maternal grandparents. And Jacob, remember, was God's choice to be the father of the stronger nation. Having studied under a mostly male-dominated religious organization, many of the followers of William Branham overlooked the importance of women throughout the history of the Bible. Many would have expected God to have spoken directly to Isaac concerning the prophecy of the two nations, but instead it was Rebekah that received the word from God. And ultimately, it was Rebekah who is responsible for Jacob's inheritance. She is the one that gave Jacob instructions for her plan of receiving the blessing. Without Rebekah, Esau could have very well become the stronger nation of the two nations, and God's promise to Rebekah could have gone unfulfilled. But God's word does not fail. When God spoke to Rebekah, telling her that the older would serve the younger, this seemed like an impossible task. The mild-mannered child who preferred the simple lifestyle would never seem like the type to produce warriors powerful enough to rule the children of the mighty Esau. And without the hand of God controlling the outcomes, Esau surely would have become the stronger of the two. Without the book of Obadiah, Historians do not even have a timeline for the end of Edom, but they do have a trail of history describing the mighty Edom's rise from their father Esau. Egyptian history depicts Edom as a nomadic people that survive off of the watering holes in Egyptian territory until the Iron Age, when they finally settled around the 8th century BC, west of the kingdom of Judah. Edom stretched from the Sinai Peninsula as far as Kadesh Barnea and controlled three major ports in the Mediterranean Sea. Esau made his home on Mount Seir, which was called the Mount of Esau. And it rose into power that grew into a threat for Israel as a nation. Obadiah foretold the crumble of that nation and the sin that turned God's anger against them. Dwelling on Mount Esau, Edomites had a false sense of security in their own accomplishment. Warring nations that rose against them struggled to conquer both the mountain and the well-fortified nation on top. And because of this fortification, Edomites gained pride in their establishment. It was this pride that caused their downfall. God condemned them for their pride and specifically for their pride in their mountain fortress. Obadiah 1, verses 3 through 4 says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Thou, though thou exalt thyself as an eagle, and thou, though they set thy nest upon the stars, thence I will bring thee down, says the Lord. But worse, Edom's pride included selfishness. As God was dealing with Israel for their failure to uphold the Old Covenant, Edom rejoiced in the punishment. The older brother's nation despised the younger, and the children of Esau felt as though they were stealing back their birthright. Watching God's justice being fulfilled against Israel, it would have surely seemed like the word 
given to Rebecca had failed. But again, God's word never fails. God sent Obadiah to condemn Esau for this pride and to inform them that their celebration for the punishment of Israel would not go unnoticed. Because of their selfishness, God was going to destroy the nation of Esau. Obadiah 1 verses 10 through 12 says, for thy, just, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day when thou stoodst on the other side, in the day when the strangers carried away captive his for forces, and the foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou was one of them. But thou should have not looked at the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither should you have rejoiced over the children of, Israel, of Judah in their day of their destruction. But thou should have spoken proudly, but neither should thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. That's Obadiah 1, verses 10 through 12. But not only were they prideful and selfish, the people of Edom were scornful. It was not enough for them to be filled with pride against neighboring Israel's calamity during their day of punishment. And it was not enough for them to rejoice at what was going on. The Edomites entered Israel to look at their destruction, offering scorn instead of assistance. And then they plundered the fallen nation, stealing their possessions. Obadiah 1, verses 13 through 15 says, Thou should have not entered the gate of the people in the day of their calamity. Thou should have not looked upon their affliction in the day of their calamity nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither should you have stood in the crossway to cut off those that is escaped. Neither should you delivered up those that remained in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, surely will it be done unto thee. Thy reward shall be upon thine own head. Zobadiah 1 verses 13 through 15. But the most important part of this prophecy is when Obadiah points to the coming of Christ. Obadiah foretold the day of the Lord, the day when the Messiah would come to overthrow the evil that seemed to go unpunished. Obadiah is yet another prophecy that firmly binds the chapter of Malachi, the fourth chapter, to the coming of Christ. And it would seem that this is the reason why this book of Obadiah was avoided by William Branham. Branham, remember, pointed the day of the Lord described in the Old Testament to the prophet that would come, one day come to restore. But Old Testament prophets pointed the day of the, the Lord to the day when God would send a Savior to redeem them from the curse of the law. To the Jews, the day of the Lord was a great and terrible day for the evil nations like Edom, that had risen against them unpunished. Obadiah go, continues on to say, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathens. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return to thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they not been seen, but upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. 
and there should be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain the Philistines, and they that possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of the host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sephrad, shall possess the cities of the south. And then it says, And saviors shall come upon Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And that last verse, in the King James Bible, saviors, plural, in the original Hebrew was a word with multiple meanings, which all pointed to the power of God. Literally speaking, it was not plural saviors that would come to redeem, but rather multiple ways in which God would redeem them. The word used in Scripture is also used for avenged, avenging, bringing salvation, deliverance, delivered, deliverer, many different variations of deliver. Endowed with salvation, it's used for victory, for help, for preservation, for safety, for save, for save, savior, victorious. This word has many meanings in the Jewish custom, but it points to Christ. God was sending a Savior, and His name was Jesus. God was sending a Deliverer, and that Deliverer would pay the penalty for the Old Covenant upon the cross. God's only Son was going to redeem the world from sin and offer Himself as a sacrifice. Christ's atonement was the greatest event that this world would ever know and become the greatest event that it has ever known. A day was coming and it was not Edom's day. Edom was going to be destroyed. And it was not Israel's day, for they were fallen. This day was the Lord's. The great and terrible day of the Lord that would restore Israel into the grace of their fathers before the law came to show them that they could never save themselves by works. The day of the Lord would bring power for the weak, by sending the fire of the Holy Spirit for God. And on the day of the Lord, the Lord would be one and His name would be one. And all who believed in that name, the name of the Lord, would be saved. Peter at Pentecost explained the prophets of old. The day of the Lord had come, and they had received power from on high. Reading from Joel chapter 2, Peter declared the prophecy of Obadiah had been fulfilled, along with the prophecies of Isaiah, of Zechariah, and others who announced the day of the Lord. It says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days will I pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show the wonders in the heavens above, and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass when everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is what Peter said was happening right then at the day of Pentecost. The day of the Lord had come. And this day is a day that is prophesied in the book of Obadiah. Thank you.